red biomarkers and the specific instances in which you will use those. Those are, you don't order those and with every patient. There are certain instances where you want to order your cardiac, bio, these particular cardiac biomarkers. So um, I wanted to review, start off with reviewing the, um, the, the four main uh, cardiac biomarkers. So um, we have myoglobin. We talked about that early in the lecture last time where myoglobin is released by every striated muscle, okay? So if a patient comes in, in with trauma, their myoglobin is gonna be elevated. If they come in with a heart attack, their myoglobin is gonna be elevated. So which came first, the chicken or the egg, we don't know, so that's not something that we use. Um, you have the CKMB, which rises about 12, um, 18 hours after the um, occlusion occurs. Um, and then it stays elevated for about two to three days and then it starts to wean, okay? That's the CKMB. Um, and then you have the, the troponin I, troponin P, they pretty much peak at the same time and then they wane off for at least six days. So it's a, it, it lasts a long time. Um, so when do we use CKMB? That's the one we wanna talk about um, today. That's the creatinine kindness MB, uh, MB. And um, as you know, this is an enzyme that is released when the cardiac muscle is injured or has um, a lack of oxygen. So it was the only one that we had available for a very long time. So when would we use the CKMB? We, you know, you order your cardiac troponins. You want to use your CKMB in a patient who had a heart attack a week ago and now is presenting with symptoms of a heart attack, okay? A patient who had a heart attack a week ago, two weeks ago, and now comes in with a heart attack, with, with chest pain, radiating to the jaw, radiating to the arm, the left arm. If it's a female, may have breast pain, may have, may have back pain, okay? So they come in and they come in with the symptoms. So what, which one will we order? If the patient comes in six days, five to six days after they had the initial heart attack, do you order a troponin? No. No, because you don't know if, it's a, if this is a new heart attack or if this remnants from the previous heart attack, hmm. right? Oh. You got it? Mm -hmm. Oh, the light went on. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Great, so if this is a patient who had a heart attack six days ago, seven days ago, what you want to order is a CKMB. Because that one will tell you if this is a new infarct, okay? So there is a place for CKMB, all right? Although it's, it's, it's an old biomarker, we don't use it frequently, but if it's in a case like that, you want to order a CKMB. The other instance, if the patient had a um, stent placed or a cardiac procedure done, and it, it's a week after the procedure, they come in with chest pain, that's another reason you would call, you would order CKMB, okay? So, 
And this is where your critical thinking comes into place. This is when you think about what am I going to order? You don't click on all of the cardiac biomarkers all the way down the, 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 when the, pain, the window that comes up, that pops up because the patient has chest pain. You think about it. They had a heart attack, oh, here six days ago, the point's not gonna tell me anything, I don't order with these Okay? All right, yes. But what is that? Is that to confirm the prior heart attack, or is that to confirm that, the, the next one? That, that is to determine if, if this is a new heart attack. Okay. Okay? So everybody's clear on that? Yes. Okay, you guys over there in the corner? Well, you good? Okay, good. All right. So it's in the, what you're doing is it is cardiac-specific, and it is used with cardiac reinfarction or injury. So remember, in an acute MI, the patient will have an increase of, of CKMB between four to six hours of the onset of infarct. It peaks about 10 to 24 hours later, and then it returns to normal between, between two to three days. Draw the labs upon admission at zero, right, at the time, four, eight, and 24 hours. See, it's, it's different from troponin. All right? 4, 8, 16, and 24 hours. So it has to be how many total? Five. At the time of, at the time of presentation, four hours later, eight hours later, 16 hours later, and then 24 hours later. Okay? Different from the troponin. So um, I want to do an aside asterisk, okay, a little, a little note I want you to put on your notes. I asked several of my colleagues that work in emergency medicine, what is the protocol for troponins? How frequently do they do troponins? So in, at the hospital in Homestead, it's every two, four, six, every two hours. Okay, it, at Baptist here in, in, in Kendall, it's every three, six, like I told you the last time, right? Every three hours. So the point that I'm making is that regardless, you have to do it between two and three hours, right? And a serial of them, at least four, right? At, at the presentation, and then every three hours after that. Okay, academically, by the book, it's every three hours. In practice, it's every two. Okay? Is that clear? Yeah. You said in practice, it's every three or two. Two. Academically, Academically three. So more than likely on your pants, it's every three. Because they are they're assessing <coughs> academically. In practice, most ERs, it's every two. Okay? All right, so what are the advantages of CKMB? Again, it detects very, very early on um, in the, uh, after chest, uh, onset of chest pain. It, it's very rapid. You can have it done in less than 15 minutes, okay? 20 minutes at the max, you'll have your results. So um, it, it's, uh, it, those are the advantages. What are the disadvantages of CKMB? 
So it is not exclusive to the, cardi the, the cardiac muscle fibers, okay? Um, CKMB can be released by other muscles. So it's not like the troponins. Troponins are cardiac specific. CKMB can be released by many other things. Just like uh, skeletal muscle injury, Duquesne's muscle dystrophy, polymyositis is another one. Alcohol myopathy, very common that their CKMB will be elevated if the patient is an alcoholic. And what is the definition of alcoholism? How many drinks? Uh, okay. So, thermal and electrical burn patients will also have increased CKMB. And carcinoma, lung, colon, prostate heart carcinoma will result on the increased CKMB. So what is important for you to know? Their medical history. History, history, history. I'm having chest pain. I have to describe the pain. It's pressure pain. Does it radiate? Yes, it goes into my left shoulder and into my back, okay? Um, and then you do your old charts for certain positive, certain negative. Your history is going to ask how many drinks do you have? Do you drink alcohol? Yes. How many drinks do you have? Second question, do you have any medical history of known cancer? Okay? And um, so the history, history, history is very important for you to know when you order a CKMB because it could be elevated and it's not because of cardiac muscle. So I'd like to um, switch um, gears a little bit here and talk about the IMA. Um, the IMA is a new biomarker. It's, um, it was first identified in 2015, 2016, and now it's being used um, in early ischemia, early ischemia, okay? It's also being used for ischemia in the, in the brain. If a patient is having a stroke and it's very mild symptoms in the early stages of a stroke, the IMA will be, caused, will be elevated. Um, or in the early stages of a ischemia, of cardiac ischemia. So if a patient comes in with, with, with plus minus pain, plus minus, you know, feeling weak, feeling fatigued, and you're not sure that this is ischemic, you do an EKG. The EKG is not specific changes in the SD um, segments. You're not quite sure. You may want to order an IMA, okay? Not all hospitals do have that in their protocol, but if they do, you need to be familiar with it, okay? So this is the, um, the, uh, the molecular structure, and um, what it is, it's albumin that has been attached to the end, term, uh, end terminal of a peptide. Okay, so um, this is a, a pretty amazing breakthrough, especially for patients who are having strokes, very early stroke or very um, early ischemic, cardiac ischemia. So what, See the, the blue line on your, in, the, in the graph? That's IMA. When does it start? When does it peak? Very early. 
Wikipedia. So if you're not sure, this may or may not be a cardiac, you may want to order an IMA. And again, it may not be in the protocol at your hospital, but if it is, you may want to use it in that particular case. Yes. Is it an expensive exam? No. It's not expensive at all. Well, I've seen it in primarily um, teaching hospitals, large hospital systems. They may have it as well. Since we're moving cells come in and they start forming the this the, the clot or forming um, the uh, atherosclerotic lesion. Okay, so one of the biomarkers of inflammation is a high sensitivity C-reactive protein or HSCRP. Okay, um, it is very nonspecific. It could be elevated for any reason. It could be elevated in a patient who has rheumatoid arthritis. It could be elevated in a patient who has lupus. It, it can be elevated in a patient who has asthma. So the CRP is very, very um, non-specific, but it is useful to as a prognostic indicator as part of your um, 
it's a, it's a risk factor quiz or survey that you take and then if the CRP is elevated, if they have hypertension, if they're diabetic, if they smoke, that all adds into your risk factor and you can give a prognosis and say, if you don't lose weight, stop smoking, and we don't get your sugar under control, your CRP is elevated, you're a high risk to have a heart attack. Okay? So, um, this is basically what I just um, talked about, is that it is elevated in a lot of cardiovascular um, instances, but it can be elevated um, by other things that can happen. So when do we have concerns, okay? When do we have concerns that we need to talk to our patient about lifestyle changes? If the CRP is less than one, that's a low risk, okay? That patient, you want to talk about lifestyle changes, you still want to address those things, but you're not going to be aggressive in the treatment. If the CRP is between one and three, that's an average risk you want to be just a little bit more emphatic with this patient, a little bit more vigilant with this patient. If it's greater than three, that's a high risk patient that you need to be fairly aggressive with in your treatment. That's the patient you want to put on a baby aspirin every day. That's the patient that you want to put them on fish oil every day. You, that's the patient you want to make sure that they're exercising, that they're getting their sugar under control and their, and their blood pressure is under control. So greater than three, high risk, between one and three is average risk, and less than one is low risk, okay? So um, we use also C-reactive protein or high sensitivity, high sensitivity C-reactive protein. In a patient who had a heart attack, it's been four days or five days post to use as, as an objective way to say he's a high, well his HSCRP is five and that means that he has a high risk so we really need to be aggressive with, with his care. Okay? Is that clear everybody? All right. Homocysteine. Have you ever heard of homocysteine? That homocysteine um, is a hormone, is a, a substance that we've been talking about it since the, I think it's since the 60s. Um, no, I'm not that old, I'm old, I'm not that old. <laughs> but it's, the pendulum has swung so many times that we're moving away from homocysteine testing and then moving back to homocysteine testing. But now the studies are pretty pushing towards reusing homocysteine in our care of patients who have cardiac disease. So, um, it is important, um, uh, methionine is important um, in the, the creation of nucleic acids. Where are nucleic acids? DNA, neurotransmitters, and hormones. 
very important substance in, for the uh, metabolism of those three substances. So homocysteine greater than 10 micromoles per liter is associated with heart atherosclerosis, heart attack, stroke, and fatal arthrosthrombotic events. Greater than 10 micromoles per liter. Now, you're gonna go out there on your rotations and you will have some internist that thinks that he knows it all and he says the homocysteine is garbage. Okay? You may find a family medicine clinician that says, oh no, we gotta do homocysteine levels to make sure to address the risk. Okay? So it all depends on who you are working with and what their their view of it. I I um uh, use evidence-based medicine. So I went back a couple days ago and I did a literature review on homocysteine. Within the last two to three years, it's been used quite frequently in patients that are either post-stroke or post-heart attack to determine what their risk factor is. Okay, so it's coming back and it's something you need to be familiar with, okay? So homocysteine greater than 10, remember that, greater than 10 micromoles is associated and that means once it's at that level, the patient has a very high risk for cardiovascular disease. Yes? Would you recommend um, doing the homocysteine level and the CRPH at the level or? Both. Mm -hmm. Both. So the therapeutic goal is of less than 10. That's your therapeutic goal. And um, the treatment for it is a combination of vitamin B, B12, folate, and vitamin B6. Okay? Folate, vitamin B6, and um, cobalamin, which is vitamin B12. So if you start treatment to lower their homocysteine level down to less than 10, um, it reduces it 72%. So you're reducing their risk of having a heart attack by 72%. If we're keeping, to keep it under 10, okay? So what I do in my practice is that I start them on the vitamins and the folate, and I give them these. B12 is garbage if you take it by mouth because the acid in your stomach will get deteriorated and very little of it is actually absorbed. So you have to give it IM. So you give the, the, the vitamin B12 IM, the uh, folate and the vitamin B6, and after about three months, um, you check their, their um, homocysteine level. If it's down to normal, now you transition the patient to a very high vitamin B12 um, diet. Can somebody tell me what, what foods are rich in vitamin B12? Greens. Greens. What else? Over there. Animal huh? Animal products. Animal products. Yeah. Okay. So what's the what's the conundrum here? It's gonna raise your cholesterol, right? So you have to be careful, and when you tell them to eat red meat, to eat a lean cut of red meat, okay? But dark green leafy vegetables. 
But the key to dark green mystery vegetables is not to boil them or put them in water because the vitamin B12 leaks out into the water. So you might as well drink the water and not eat the fiber. Okay? So what I tell them is to steam it. Okay, steam the, 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 the spinach, the thinnest kale. Um, you, you steam it to um, retain the vitamin B12. Triglycerides, triglycerides, and cholesterol, the 
apolipid protein and phospholipids, okay? So here we have four of them that you will see when you order a lipid panel, right? Everybody has seen this. Those, for those of you who have worked in clinics or emergency rooms, or by triglycerides. Um, then we have the very low density, the VDL, VLDL, um, lipoprotein, okay? And about 70% of it is triglycerides, 10% of it is cholesterol, okay? So it delivers primarily, it's attached to and related to triglycerides, okay? Low density lipoprotein, on the other hand, um, is occupied by triglycerides, but primarily by cholesterol. And it ferries or it taxis cholesterol through the cells of the body um, and, uh, and through the arteries. So, and then it transforms into buildup. Okay, so you have the VLDL, which is, which is attached to what? triglycerides, and then the LDL is? Cholesterol. Cholesterol, okay. And then you have the high density LDL, um, which is the heaviest and um, the smallest type of lipoprotein, and is primarily cholesterol. Um, so it's important, why is it important? Because when you get that report, and the LDL, the H, oh, sorry, the the very low LDL and the L are elevated as attached to cholesterol, so you need to make sure that you're treating cholesterol. But if the low, very low density is high, what are you going to be tackling? That's right, okay? So for those of you who are visual learners, here are, um, here's a graphic of uh, the lipoproteins, so the VLDL, the ILDL or intermediate, we're not using that very much, but VLDL, LDL, definitely. Um, now the HDL, on the other hand, is what? The good cholesterol. You want to keep that elevated, okay? You want to keep that high and the rest of them, you want to keep them low. So there's one particular lipoprotein, a subclass called lipoprotein A. Okay, and uh, you may see that in um, your lipid panel. And um, that's another level of protein that we need to uh, make sure that we keep that below um, the benchmark. And here I gave you the lipid uh, profile values, okay? So let's go through them. The triglycerides. <coughs> you wanna keep the triglycerides under 150. Okay, so you wanna tackle the triglycerides and keep that very low. So what do we use for triglycerides to, to, to decrease triglycerides? Phenolfibrate? Huh? Are you saying what are we gonna do to, to, yeah. to bring them down? Yeah. Our phenolfibrates are... Phenol What's that? What are phenolfibrates? Fibric acid, fibric acid. Fibrinic acid. Fibrinic acid. So what are you going to order? What are you going to tell this patient? 
You're at risk for pancreatitis. Okay, so what are you gonna get? The, what are you gonna tell them? Between 200 and 240, borderline, 
this is the patient you want to be a little bit more aggressive with. You want to start them on a medication to lower their cholesterol. You want to do exercise, do a well-balanced diet. Over 240 is, they have to be on a statin, period. Okay? The LDL, the optimal LDL is under 100. If it's um, between 100 and 129, that's considered suboptimal or near optimal. Um, and then you have borderline high, and then you high, and then very high, okay? Um, when do you start a statin? If their LDL is elevated and their triglycerides are elevated and they have high risk hypertension, diabetes, you know, you put it all together and the patient has to be on a statin. They will fight. They will argue. They will, I mean, they will keep it screen because they don't want to take another pill. All right, so I compromise. Okay, this is the deal. I'm gonna order the medication that's gonna be at the pharmacy for you. You're gonna start an exercise regimen, you're gonna start a low-fat diet, you're gonna start um, controlling your sugar, let's get, make sure your blood pressure's under control. You got three months. Within three months, your cholesterol has not dropped, the prescription is ready for you in the pharmacy. Okay? All right. HDL, you wanna keep it low, under, uh, under 40, and consider, get considered high if it's over 60. We've got to get that HDL down. This is the other one that is very sensitive to exercise. HDL, if you exercise, the patient gets moving, the HDL will go down. You had a question over here? for 12 hours 
and have a proper venal puncture specimen drawn, okay? Um, the important thing that with patients with cholesterol issues and lipid issues, they cannot eat red meat for three days. Did you know that it takes your body three days to digest, fully digest red meat? Three days. So you gotta make sure the patient has not had red meat for three days, comes in fasting for at least 12 hours, okay? Now, what do you do for the patient who has, um, is a long distance truck driver, or a patient who, who um, works the night shift? Those are really, really hard patients to treat because their, their circadian rhythm is completely upside down, all right? So I generally would give them an order to go to any lab core or any, um, any lab that they can go to and then have the lab send me the results wherever they're at, okay, as long as they've been fasting for 12 hours. Um, wor working with agricultural workers, working with farm workers and migrant workers, a lot of my patients get a lot of long distance trips, both, you know, delivering oranges or lemons or pineapples or tomatoes. So um, this is something that I had to deal with and I found ways to get around it, okay? Um, so, point of care. Decent sensitivity, decent specificity, but it's not uh, something that you want to use to diagnose or make a, a decision on treatment. Um, that's just to red flag the patient, order the lipid panel, and then treat appropriately. And now we're done. <laughs> okay. So I just wanted to take a few minutes to thank all of you for your support um, in terms of breast cancer awareness. Um, this is something that's very personal to me. <laughs>